It's time for chapter 84 of our podcast. On today's show, we'll tell you about our visit to the Chateau Ferrassou and the amazing renovation that's taking place there. And J.D. Power has released their North American Airport Satisfaction Survey and Canada got kicked to the curb. So we are experiencing, I think, my favorite time of the year. I think the month of September is consistently the most favorable weather-wise. Yeah, like we, you know, the lead-up is always lethally hot, August, and, it, and you know, true to form this year, that's exactly what we were experiencing almost every day in or near 30. Yep. And now, here we are in mid-September, and it's just beautiful. Just yeah, it's, it's, you know, mid, mid-20s, perfect for taking our walks, perfect for eating outdoors. Uh, it's, uh, and, and the important thing is at this time of year, it cools down at night. Yes. So, you know, it's much more uh, uh, enjoyable for sleeping and, you know, getting chores done in the morning, outdoors. Yeah, because the, the temperature at the, at the heat of the day now is kind of between 24 and 28. It's just, which is just golden. Yeah. Just, just amazing. So we are once again enjoying September, and that's something to keep in mind. Uh, we, we, we've always said May and September are great months here, but I think September's more of a guarantee, isn't it? I, I Yeah, I would say that it's been more consistent. Yeah, yep. than, than May. But if you're planning on you know coming to France, it's, it's a great time on two fronts, the weather and uh, the lack of tourists. It's a really good time to... It does quiet down and cool off. Yeah, and you get a little extra summertime. Hey, I'm at the... Uh... I'm at the post box at the top of the lane, mm-hmm. and I see uh, from Ontario, because we still have mail forwarded here, right? Because uh, we, we feel we have to, although I think that's I think that's pretty much run its course, especially after what I tell you what we received <laughs> well, in the box today. Well, you, you came into the to the house, and, and I could tell you were in a, in a kind of a mood, and I said, what's wrong? He goes, I think we have more bad news. Well, yeah, but that's because it it came from the sheriff's department. <laughs> and it, Anytime I hear the word sheriff, and and it was addressed to me, right? Yeah, of course. So, did you think I was getting arrested? I don't. I I don't know. I I don't know what I was thinking. But anytime you hear the word sheriff, you know, it's like there ain't room enough in this town for the both of us. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I and so, yeah. uh, but it, <laughs> here it is. It's uh, it's to determine whether you're eligible for jury duty <laughs> in. Ontario. In Canada. So I think they missed the memo that uh, I now live in France. But here's the thing. I'm, I'm just going to go through some of these some of these points to determine whether yes. or not you're eligible. And you will see one uh, very strong point that is not listed here. So it, it's, are you a Canadian citizen? Will you be 18 years of age or older by December 31st? Did you go to court for any jury selection or serve as a juror in the last couple of years? Does your occupation make you ineligible? And then they give you a big chart about mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, are you physically or mentally unable to perform the duties of a juror? Have you been convicted of a criminal offense? And then it just goes into your birthday and uh, your occupation, uh, the languages that you read and understand, and that's it. Right. Nowhere on this list does it say, hey, do you live in Canada? Well, they're assuming because they have my Ontario 
address on file that I live in Canada. Right. So, you know, sure enough, and this is just a, if I'm not mistaken, this is a form that they require people to fill out to see if they're eligible for future jury duty. It's not a convocation. No, and it's uh, also mandatory that you fill it out. So we'll fill it out, and we'll also include our new address on there. But what was really interesting is I went to the website to see, you know, is there anything there about where you, you know, your residence is? And the only thing I can find that was close said, (laughs) uh, we'll be happy to help out with travel expenses should your location be more than 40 kilometers from the courthouse. <laughs> How about 4,000? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so will that include, is that business class flights that we get or? You know. And what hotel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, where, what don't do I have a choice on the hotel yeah. that we're staying at? I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing is, okay, yes, you, you know, you tick off all the boxes on mm-hmm. this form. Yes. But the next uh, phase, should you be selected for jury duty? It, it's, I mean, well, they're going to put me in the reject pile for sure. Mm. Like, there's no way they're not. They know it's not reasonable to fly someone in yeah. from, you know, Europe to to go, right. you know, be a, a juror. Let's hope they add those two points up. I'm in the reject pile for a lot of different reasons, <laughs> I, I believe. But uh, yeah, even if they, even if you do get a thing, you've been chosen for jury duty. Well, you just say, okay, well, I live in France, so uh, you know, let me know when when you've booked the flights. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not gonna. No, you know, it's not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. But it just thought, oh man, what next? <laughs> like, really, what next? Um, we just um, we just said goodbye, unfortunately, to our our guests who were here for the last uh, five, five days. Yeah, five and- five six days. It was great to spend time with the, uh, your cousin Linda yeah. and her husband Sven. We always get along really well with them. We like doing the same things. Yeah. And I think, you know, their main goal in coming to Europe was to, to try to rest a little bit, see the sights, have some fun, relax. And so that's what we tried to do, uh, you know, because we, we were the front end of their trip. Well, and back to our, our, our new weather for September the one thing that Sven did say was that uh, it, it is an extension of summer for most Canadians because now the temperature there is kind of dipped down mm-hmm. into the teens where here it's in the mid-20s. So uh, they're off now uh, to, to South France for a couple of weeks. A really good vacation. Three weeks here yes. is great, especially if you're going to drop in. And they're, and they're driving. They're meandering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've got their places booked and they're, you know, they're making their way to east uh, all the way to Monaco. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm sure that they'll have lots of stories. And they're scouting out locations for us, you know, because there's some places in southeast France that we've not been to. They're also going to Avignon. Julie, how does the song go? Le bon d'Avignon, on y danse, on y danse, sur le bon d'Avignon, on y danse tout long. Why does it go oh. so fast? Because <sighs> I don't like singing it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and we were on the poem. Yes, we were. Uh, and we heard the song. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, so it, it was great hanging with them. And, and uh, you know, to Julie's point there about their, you know, sort of wish to just recharge the batteries yeah. here. We were, you know what, but we're, like you said, we're, we, we have such similar 
uh, likes on w- w- how to travel, and one of them are these, you know, are these day trips. Yeah, and, and we didn't want to cram too much in, so we yeah. we and we didn't want to travel too far afield. So I think I think we did a pretty good job organizing all of our little outings. Yeah, because you can't just sit around; you got to have some some things to do. So we did poke around quite a bit. We had some really nice uh, lunches and dinners, and one of the things that we really wanted to show them. Um, especially uh, because we had just been there, which was the hotel or chateau, Merquez. Yeah, I mean, it's huh. rich in history. So we went there, we had our lunch, but the day that we were there, um, the uh, wine cellar was was closed. This is when you and I went. That was just the two of us, yeah. right. Yeah. And so uh, we, we, when leaving on, on that day, we booked a wine tasting, um, and um, and another lunch and another lunch, and it was really fascinating. Our our host, our guide, told us a little bit about the history of the chateau. Guillaume, yes, Guillaume, 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 which is William in English. Yeah, um, you know, if he he explained that that this chateau was built for the bishops because the bishops had lots of money, and uh, you know, it was fortified because they had to fight against the English. And they had to fight against Toulouse. Did they have to fight against the Romans? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, <they're> Romans. <laughs> and so it's a medieval, you know, st- started being built in the 1300s and, and uh, you know, w- was owned by various families throughout time. And now it's owned by a family um, named Vigourou. Okay. And it turns out that this family is really well respected in the Cahors region. And Georges Vigourou was the uh, instigator for the appellation of oh. Cahors wines. Which is really technical, isn't it? Well, yeah. If you go on the government website, it's six pages. It tells you the criteria. The right? criteria in order to get your, your, you know, appellation. your, your appellation. Yeah. So for a Cahors wine, it has to be Malbec. It can be blended with Merlot or Tanat. That's it. Oh, it can only be blended with those two. And there are percentages, right? And there are percentages. Now, our guide said that it, it, the percentage is 85. And I... Well, no, here's what he said. Uh-huh. Here's what he said, and because I was, I was very interested in it. He said the fields... Yes. Your crops have to be 70%. Now, I, again, I don't, I don't know because... But this was his... Th- 70% Merlot. Uh, sorry, uh, Malbec. And then the rest didn't really matter. But it, your crops had to be 70, but in the bottle it had to be 85, and I find that high. Uh, yeah, and it's, I'm a little confused because when you go, when you read through, mm-hmm. there are various percentages, but the one I see most commonly is 70% yeah. in the bottle yes. of Malbec. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure. That makes more sense to me. Right. But it turns out on they have 33 acres a hectares, sorry, yeah. a vineyard right in the valley below the castle. And 80% of their plantings are Malbec, 10% is Chenin, the other 10% is Merlot. So when we walked up to the chateau, we saw what looked like like a skylight, this glass structure. Mm-hmm. And he was explaining that that's where they dump the grapes when they bring them in from from the vineyard, and then they go down into this uh, basement, 
which was created fairly recently for the for the vineyard itself. Yeah, and it's just incredible, full of casks uh, where the wine is being, you know, fermented and stored, and oh, and a beautiful uh, degustation area. Yeah, well, I think they started digging because <laughs> this is really cool. When you're in the wine cave, you've got people walking on top of you because the, to- on, the on top is the gardens. Right. So they they excavated and dug deep, and and this was in the late. I guess, 1980s, mm-hmm. um, where they designed this beautiful wine cellar. And um, once you get through where the casks are, there's the little degustation area. And um, and it, it, and we, store. And store. And we, you know, we sampled what we thought were some really fine Some of the best wines. stuff. Yeah. Chateau uh, Merquez is available in Canada, I asked, <laughs> um, but only at the SAQ, which is... Uh, that's in- the mafia lo- <laughs> That's the mafia location in Quebec. In Quebec. The, maf- <laughs> the mafia uh, booze location in Ontario, the LCBO, uh, they, <laughs> they do not. Right. And you cannot bring it in because of the mafia. Right. But Linda and Sven are lucky because they live right on the border between Ontario yep. and Quebec. So yeah. it's just a short trip. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we will... Uh, have lots of photos on the Facebook page at Jeff and Julie moved to France. Uh, one of the things that struck me, you were just describing it, was the fact that the um, plantation, the vignoble, uh, all the uh, uh, grapes are below the castle, but they're also right next to the lot. I mean, it's just, you've got the, the lot, lot river. Lot river is flowing right past the castle, the chateau. You've got vineyards, you've got the chateau, you've got the the beautiful cedar tree from that was planted in 1782. It's just, I, I mean, it's just eye candy no matter where you look. So yeah. try and... Spectacular. Uh, try and capture uh, as best uh, that we could uh, the photos, which I'll put up on the Facebook page for this week. Yeah, while we were there, uh, Linda and Sven bought us a little gift. Oh, yeah, the glasses. The glasses. They've got uh, a circular stem, like a, and it's it's... It was, They were designed specially for the wines of Cahors. I'll, I'll take a picture of it and throw it on the on the Facebook page. Great. Yeah, they, I think they were designed in the 1990s, and they signify, you know, the relationship between those that are degusting okay. <laughs> the wine and the vintners. And, uh, and, and apparently the shape of the glass helps highlight um, the darkness of the Malbec, mm-hmm. which is sometimes called the black wine. It's so rich. So dark. Yeah. Anyway, um, those are spectacular glasses. So thank you guys. And, and do they ever feel nice in the hand? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. If if you had you know big big fingers or big mitts, like uh, I do. The, <laughs> it's easier to kind of hold on. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll show you that and uh, and all the other photos from uh, our visit at uh, Chateau Merquet. So my French phrase of the day. Yes. Is actually a quote uh, from Bertrand Gabriel Vigourou, who is the son of Georges, and he is currently running the operations. Okay. So. Here is the French phrase of the day. It's the shortest one ever, Jeff. Good Lord, I, his name is longer than the French <laughs> phrase. Le vin est une invitation au voyage. Uh, the wine is an invitation to the, the voyage. Yeah, to travel. To, to travel. Yeah. yeah, in other words, to escape, right? Oh. <laughs> Le vin est une invitation au voyage. There's a number of ways you could look at that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's the French phrase of the day. Well done. Boom. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, but you know, we we uh, we have to talk more because the music has, we have to have the music underneath for the whole thing. So you have to explain more about the French phrase of the day. Uh, what was his name again? Uh, <laughs> Bertrand Gabriel Vigourou. He's fourth generation vintner. Okay. His dad started right, growing wines right, in 1887. All right. Or, sorry. His grandparents or great-grandparents, 1887, mm. um, they were affected negatively with the phylloxera. Yeah. The, and they blame the Americans. Yeah, that's well, that's where it came from. Right. And yeah. so they had to, their, their crops were destroyed and they had to replant. And now they've got some, It's not just there, it's everywhere in Everywhere, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. so now they have a vibrant and very productive vineyard. So uh, we read a very disturbing uh very disturbing uh, story the other day. Yeah, uh-huh. speaking of wine, this is a wine bar in Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's called the Chin Chin. And apparently they canned their own sardines and something went really, really wrong because people started developing cases of botulism. First of all, when they served the sardines. Who's eating that? Like, I gotta know. Who's eating that stuff? It's horrible. It is the most repugnant food on the planet. Like, who's eating sardines and stuff? (laughs) Some people like anchovies and they like the sardines and they like the canned fish and and others don't. And you're part of the don'ts. What would you like today, sir, for lunch? Um, I will have... Yes, I'll have the vomit sandwich, please, <laughs> with a side of uh, Hurley fries. And, uh, you know, for dessert, I think I'm going to have the puke pie, if that's okay with you. In any case, it, it's really serious. A, a woman from, from Greece who was here with her Irish husband for the rugby, because right now oh, there's the big the rugby. rugby tournament. Crazy. Um, she, she unfortunately passed away. Terrible. So, you know, there's going to be ensuing lawsuits. The restaurant is closed temporarily. I don't know if it'll ever open again. Um, but I think the, the lesson here is be careful when you're doing your own preserves, especially if you're dealing with fish. Well, and, and, and you know, even if you're uh, partaking, you know, even if you're going to a restaurant and, but I guess, how do you know? How do you know if they're doing their own sardines? You was, know, it was probably promoted because people love artisanal, right? Uh, but just like by coincidence, yesterday we were out for lunch. Oh, and, yeah. And on top of my salad were some sardines and I just put them aside. Well, even, even someone like you who loves almost all areas of seafood, mm-hmm. and you, you, you can't stand sardines. Well, especially following the story. Well, no, but you wouldn't have eaten them anyway. Right. And no, you, and it's, you not wouldn't my, eat, it's not my cup of tea. You wouldn't eat... Uh, see, I would. I will use an anchovy and mash it up when I make my Caesar salad dressing because it, it softens it. And, yeah, and yeah. by the time I put all my other things in there, you don't really taste the anchovy, but it does... It does help with the, the the overall taste of my Caesar salad dressing. But to, when, when you go in somebody's restaurant... And you order a Caesar salad and they put whole anchovies on the top. It's like, oh, please, could you take that and flush it down the toilet? Awful. Ugh. In any case, we'll have to keep an eye on, you know, what's what's going to happen there. They, they had to do, like, the owner of the restaurant is doing uh, the best he can to identify people who consumed sardines to try to track them down. Because it takes a while before you get sick, up to five days. 
So there are people that uh, that, that bake your own bread or something. Yeah, but eight. I think eight people were hospitalized, and one person passed away. So it's uh, you got to be careful. No, thank you very much. Um, we told you on last week's podcast that we were going to check out Heritage Days, and we got one of the two things uh, checked off the box, and I'm ever glad we went to this. Yeah, we went to Le Château Ferrassou, which is a privately owned chateau on the banks of the Lot River. And it's a, it's kind of a combination medieval Renaissance building, because over time people added... And, you and, know, and we find that's the case with almost every one of these chateaus. Yes. Uh, You know, they all have add-ons. Yes. And so um, our friends uh, Maline and Daniel joined us and we had our guests with us. And and, um, we connected with Philippe de Rouen, who is the owner of this chateau. Uh, And uh, he purchased the property in 2019 and started renovations in 2021. What a cool guy. I got to say, I was just taken by him. He was so kind. And gentle, very sweet. And and informative and just seemed to love the idea uh, that once a year he gets to sort of show everybody how how he's coming along with the renovation of this place. Yes. And, you know, he's taking it really seriously. So one of the first rooms we saw was in the medieval part of the chateau. It's in the lower level. And it's this massive room with arches. In brick. In brick. And he was explaining why there are some big holes in the side of the walls. And it's because in in the day... In order to build the arches, they would build a, a wooden structure, lay all the bricks on top, and then just pour the mortar. Um, so it, it wasn't like a precision job. It was get-it-done-fast kind of job. But, but you know what? Ever since he mentioned that, I look at every barn, including ours, and mm-hmm. it has those similar things. Yep. And I think they were either used as uh, the basis for the roof in some cases or for the the actual building of, of the roof. Yeah, and sometimes you see that on the outside That's of the right. structure mm-hmm. as well. So he was explaining that this room wasn't used for living because it's not heated. Um, so um, it was probably to stock whatever produce, wine, uh, because because the building is right on the Lot River, and that's where it would have been, how it would have been delivered back back in the day, yeah. right? So that was very impressive. And then he said, "There's not a lot of documentation on the building. Like, there's he he wasn't able to refer to any any um, you know do- document explaining the precise age of mm. each part of the building. So they took two bricks from one side of the wall." and two bricks from another side of the wall and sent them to a lab for analysis. Mm-hmm. And apparently you can tell the age uh, or the time where a brick was baked. Huh. And so his that room dates back to um, 1350 to 1450. Oh, jeez. Somewhere, somewhere in there. There's a 50-year window in the analysis. So that, that was really interesting. And, and speaking of windows, how... How deep were the walls? Well, some of the walls in in this room are are bordering on two meters deep. Yeah. Two meter thickness on most of the walls of this chateau. And um, he has done everything in there, including repointing a lot of the brickwork. He's adding an entire uh, heating system, which means building out the walls. 
because you can't really go through the walls. So he's building some of them out and then putting the pipes up through there and then uh, drywall on on the outside on some of the walls that that weren't that attractive. He's trying to keep as many of the stone walls as he can. And, um, you know, it's funny. I asked him because the work he's doing here is so beneficial for this particular chateau. And there are others, I, I think you do need some wealth to, to pull this off. But I, I asked him, I said, so has the French government been much help? And he said, not really. Well, so he, he got some grants. Yeah, he got, but and, I mean. And he gets, you know, he gets some tax credits for work that he's putting into a heritage building because it is, it is um, yeah. classified. Um but uh, I think a lot of his own resources are going into mm-hmm. into the renovation of the building. Yeah, and I guess the, I guess what the French government is is saying is, well, we have many of these buildings that that we're looking, you know, to help people out with, so we can't afford a lot of money. But you know, here are some tax breaks. And then the other thing is, if you do put those in, then you have uh, a. a a, a more valued asset to sell. Yes, so I, yes. I, I, I do get it, but I mean, geez, for the amount of money that he's throwing in there, and then he, he told us that the, the, basically the government gave him 25,000 euros uh, to tour. Well, that's not, you know, he, believe me, here for materials and tradespeople, that hardly gets you, uh, that yeah. hardly gets you a set of steps. Yeah, well, to, to your point, there are lots of private homes that are chateaus, and I think the French government's priority is to work on um, refurbishing uh, old churches. Yeah, they really are, aren't they? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was a perfect weather day. So much information. Uh, you know, the host was, was great. And uh, we got to see the rest of the house as well. Uh, we, we got to see the inside of the, the round tower. Yeah. Where the room inside is square. I don't know why they would have done that because it just ate up so much of the space in there. Yeah, and he's using some of the space that was between the wall and and the exterior um, to make a, a washroom, little powder room, dressing and, room. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it that it's was a, odd. Yeah, and I asked him, I asked him, so when do you think you're going to finish your project? <laughs> <laughs> and he said. The horizon is always moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 up against it there in terms of getting that thing finished. But and and you know, here's the other thing: when when you have a property of that size, there are always other things that pop up. So they had this massive tree, and ironically, it was the exact same uh, type of tree that they had at Chateau Marquez, the from 1782, the Libyan cedar. And uh, this thing was, I I took a picture of it. It was huge. And then I counted the rings because it was down. And I thought it was going to be more than it was, but it was still 140 years old. Yeah. Well, there there were quite a few extremely mature trees on that property. Yeah, they were just huge. Yes. And just gorgeous grounds. And we wish him the best. And he was so kind and, and, you know, uh, forward about what he's... What he's done, what what his plans are, what he's doing, and uh, it was it was really great. Well, I enjoyed it, it'll a lot. It'll be interesting to see how far he gets for the next Heritage Day. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, try and poke out there every year and just see mm-hmm. how, how he's uh, going. But you, you could see the trades were working in there. There was stuff all over the place. Yeah. He's yeah. building. And it's big. It's big. Yeah, he's building new staircases. He's you know he's he's really he's he's involved. Oh, we have to talk about the staircase. 
Oh, that staircase was unbelievable. And in, I took, in the medieval part. Yeah, I, I took so many pictures of it because I didn't understand how this could possibly be built. I mean, it's got, first of all, a column. It's a circular staircase, as most of them were. And it's got a column up the middle, but not just a normal column where are these stairs attach. This was so ornate mm-hmm. and so perfectly... It's twisted. It's all twisted. Oh, my goodness. And the stairs, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. were made out of... One slab. One slab, seven feet plus. Uh, six feet, I think he okay. said. Six feet. And they help support the column. Yeah. So it th- that was that was really quite uh And it, and it went up, what, two, three, three flights? Three flights, yeah. Three flights and massive, massive circular stair, staircase. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, he, they're, they're on the move there. I think they're the, the hard stuff, like, you know, the wiring and the plumbing and all that stuff is, has been taken care of. So I, th- I think we're going to see a big uh, yeah. step ahead yeah. when we go back. Yeah, let's hope so. He's also redoing flooring and, and all kinds of stuff there. That's one of the things I love about France, though. There's just so much history. And I mean, there you go. Two examples, two chateaus here in one pa- podcast, one of which uh, is under renovation. The other one needs a bit of renovation. I must say that uh, Chateau Merquez could use a little bit of love. Uh, it, it, it's it's yeah. fun. It's remarkable. Uh, the food is great. The The wine... Tasting area is fantastic. Their wine is great, but they do need some updates. Stairs, just the actual hotel, a little paint, a little walls, yeah, a little yeah. repair. Just it, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's not major, but does need a, a bit of a uh, top up. Mark that down, by the way. Third weekend in September, if you want to take advantage of some special sites that you're either not able to see throughout the rest of the year or you have to pay for because Heritage Days kind of happen throughout Europe. Throughout Europe, yeah. On the third weekend of September, and it's really well worth it. Um, Before we wrap up today, got to go through the new J.D. Power 2023 North American Airport Satisfaction Study. And holy cow, do we suck in Canada. We need some. Okay, first of all, I'm going to read you sort of the criteria of this study, and then I get to some of the results. We do not look good. Um, So it measures overall traveler satisfaction uh, with mega, large, and medium North American airports. And uh, the two that Canada... Uh, participate in are a mega and a large, the mega being Pearson and the large being in Montreal. And uh, what they are looking for are six factors. Terminal facilities, airport arrival and departure, baggage claim, security check, check check-in and baggage check, and food, beverage, and retail. So uh, the mega airports are defined as those with 33 million or more passengers per year and the large 10 to 33 million. Okay, so now let's go to the study. 27,000 completed surveys from U.S. or Canada, and the study was fielded from August 22 through July 23. And from the large category where Montreal Pierre-Elliott Trudeau International Airport falls. We have 27 competitors, and Montreal's Pierre-Elliott Trudeau International Airport finished in 25th place. Now, you were just there recently. 
Did you? Did it, you? It, it's 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 a nightmare in there. I mean, I oh. was able to. No, no, it's just so busy. It's just there's so many people. I see. It's just it's craziness. Okay. Um. Yeah. I w- it was. But fine. your flight was on time. But here's your the, baggage arrived. Yeah, but you know, and and because there are so many people now, there are new rules at the lounges. There was a family in front of me at the. Uh, oh, I guess it would be the uh, business class lounge for Air Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was denied. He has he had his first class ticket or his business ticket because his fl- his next flight was more than three hours away. Oh! Oh, was he pissed? Oh, well, so what? So what's the time frame? Three hours or or sooner, and then you can go visit the lounge. So he wow. said. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go down and sit down here for a, an hour until my. And the guy said, Yeah, unfortunately, that's. Wow. And he said, Wow, that is just. And did you find the lounge busy? It was really busy. I, yeah, I I barely found a spot to sit in the lounge. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that that is in the large airport. Right. Is, sorry, Jeff. Is this all of North America? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is all of North America. So, um, what was the top in in large? Oh, the top in large was Tampa. Okay. Oh, and we've been to Tampa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. That's a pretty easy airport. And remember, we've also been to the John Wayne Airport when we went to see Brian and Angie in Orange County. Yes. It's number two. Okay. Salt Lake City, number three, Dallas, and then it goes on down from there. Okay. Um, now, what about... Uh, oh, and, and, and finishing in last place was Philly. Okay. The old Philly. And then now we go to the mega airports, and again, this is for 33 million uh, travelers per yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, and uh, finishing... Now, this I find... Well, this is great for Detroit. Detroit Metropolitan Wayne County Airport, number one. Good. And did, by the way, Detroit is coming along. Yeah. Went and visited there a few years ago with my buddy Darren. We went and saw some ball games, went to the Motown yeah. Hall of Fame, and it is coming along. Uh, uh, I, I really wish for the best uh, for that city. But Minnesota finished second, St. Paul International Airport, which is also a big hub. And uh, they did well. And Dallas-Fort Worth is in there, Miami, San Francisco. And Toronto Pearson, second last, number 19 out of 20. Wow. The only one worse was Newark. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, we got to do something, folks. Like, this is... Yeah. I Well, maybe they're just not coming up with a system mm-hmm. to, to re- regulate and improve all of those different parameters i know but they know this is coming every year right and you know the parameters that uh, jd power uses are pretty uh logical to me the the, oh, the criteria for I the agree. the yeah. study yeah um and uh it's it's you know it's just good to know because it, you know that if your airport is listed here in the bottom that you probably need to add some time <laughs> to, to getting there yes. you know yeah for sure wow that's very interesting. I, I I wonder how things uh, uh, rate in uh, in Europe. Well, yeah, maybe uh, we'll uh, take a look for a survey there and uh, get back to you on that. I'm, I don't even know if JD Power does a European uh, study. I think it's another, uh, another rating system. Yeah. yeah. All right, but similar criteria, right? I yeah. would assume. Yeah. yeah. All righty. Well, on next week's show, we'll visit our first cave system since moving to France, and you'll find out the difference between une grotte. And un gouffre as we check out the prehistoric Grotte de l'Astournelle. Au revoir. À bientôt.